0: Hello. My name is okay. My name is Verone Houston. I was born at the beginning of the Depression in 1929. My dad had been working in construction, laying water pipes in Illinois. This his sister lived there at the time and helped him get the job. When the job was completed, he could not find any other work, and so he and mother moved back to Marsland to live with his parents. They lived on a farm in a Stain school district near Brookville. When the time came for me to be delivered, they went to get the doctor. He came to the house for delivery. Most babies were delivered at home at that time unless someone was having extreme problems. It was several years later before the babies were delivered in a hospital instead of the home. My grandparents raised vegetables to sell to people in town. He specialized in raising watermelon and mustard. When they were ready for sale, he'd pick a wagon load and load them in the wagon and the wagon was drawn by horses and they would go to town to sell them. My grandparents never owned a car during their lifetime. The children all did, but he never did. Dad worked for the neighbors during harvest the year that I was born. When, it was, when I was about two years old, we moved to what was known at that time as the John Schaefer farm. It was just two miles down the road. Dad worked caring for hogs. The house and the garden spot were furnished. It was at this time that we was introduced to that little pest called a flea. They developed quite well around hog pens because through the summer, the lots get very dry and dusty and this is a very good place for fleas to hatch out. They were so bad that Mother used kerosene in the corners of the house to try to get rid of them, as we did not have bug killers and sprays that we have readily available now. She put citronella on me at night to keep the eat fleas from biting while I was sleeping. We lived at this place about two years, I think. Some of the men in the neighborhood worked in the mines in the winter and helped the farmers in the planting and harvesting the crops through the spring and summer and early fall. Coal mining was dirty, hard work. I remember well the smell of the carbide that Dad put in the small light that fastened to his cap so that he could see in the tunnel. The tunnels were very dark, with the exception of lanterns, which were hung at different places. And the lights on the miners' heads. They were paid by the ton or a small wagon load, and this they managed to pick loose from this tunnel with a special tool that had a handle on it like an axe, but it had a point at both ends of the head of the tool, which was called a pick. Each man had a separate wagon, and the lot for. Each man had a separate wagon to load so that they could get credit for their day's labor. Dad came home very dirty every night. It seemed to get into the pores of your skin and was very difficult to get it washed out. One day when Dad was coming home from work, my little brother, which was about three years old at the time, decided to jump on the running board of the car, hoping to get a ride on it like a boy would ride a coaster wagon with one foot touching the ground to push him along. In the process, he fell, and the back wheel of the car rolled over his leg. Mother was sure it was broken. They rushed him to see the dock, however it was only bruised. That same summer, he was riding bareback, with no saddle, on the neighbor boy's horse in our front yard. He fell off the horse as it was trotting around in a circle in the yard, and this time he did break his arm. The boy rode home on his horse to his mother's, and she was the only one that had a car in the neighborhood. So the the neighbor lady came back and got us, and we drove to town to the doctor. The doctor put a cast on the arm. When dad arrived home that evening, he was quite surprised to find that brother had a cast on his arm. Of course, he was quite proud of that cast. He wore it the length of the time that the doctor recommended, and then Dad cut the cast off at home. We seldom ever went to a doctor unless it was an emergency, because of the cost. When the income is meager, most people learn to get along at home with home remedies. We did not go to the dentist either. I had never been to a dentist until I was a junior in high school. I had never been to a I had a bad spot in one of the teeth in the back on my jaw and it was beginning to pain and that was the reason for going to the dentist. However today young children are checked out by the time they are just two or three years old. I have a granddaughter that had problems with her teeth and the dentist pulled the front ones out when she was only four. The new ones will eventually come in when she is about seven I think. But th- this was very unheard of at the time that I was a girl. My first grade school was a sting. It was a small one room country school west, in the community west of Marceline. One teacher, Miss Unita Medlin, was responsible for the one class of children from the first grade to the eighth. The furnishings were sparse, the teachers' material was limited, and the kids all walked to and from school carrying lunch pails or sacks for their lunch. One winter's day the heating stove was tricky to adjust, and Miss Medlin had lots of trouble getting it started in the morning. She boarded at the neighbor's house that was just lived across the road from us. She rode a horse to school early to fix the fire so that the room would be warm. One of the boys got frostbite on his feet during the winter because he had to walk a lot farther than most of us. The teacher carried water and warmed it on the stove and put his feet in it to warm them up. I found out later that you're supposed to warm frostbite very slowly to keep from causing damage to the skin. One day, when it had snowed most of the day, the teacher let me ride behind her on the horse on the way home. I felt special, as she never did that for any of the other children. However, I was the only first grader and the youngest one walking in that direction. The other two children were in the eighth grade. Miss Madeline soon married Steve Kosowicz of Marceline, and this ended her teaching career, as married ladies could not teach school at that time. This following summer was very hot, 1935, I think. We carried water to drink and to wash our hands from the neighbor's house, which was a short distance down the road. Mother had a half a gallon syrup bucket (coughs) with a lid that little brother carried. Mine was a gallon size and mother carried two buckets each day for almost two months. Our well at the house had gone dry. We hauled water for the laundry from the well at the far side of the 40-acre field. Mother walked to that well each day to pump water for our milk cow. We had no ice or fan or things like that to keep cool. No electricity at that time. Mother <coughs> moved our beds outside and we slept. The grasshoppers were very bad that year and they ate a lot of the crops and the garden. We ate a lot of turnips that winter because that would grow under the ground. The fall crops were planted in the garden, such things as green beans, anything that would have time to mature after the first rain in the fall in hopes of having something to can for vegetables for the winter. We later moved close to St. Catherine and I was in the second grade. Dad had got work in construction building roads. He ran a road grader at that time, and the grader was pulled with a crawler tractor. This was before self-propelled road graders. He worked on many of the secondary roads that are in existence today. Number 11 and Highway C and number 129 are just a few. At the time they started working on the roads, they were only wagon trails. This was the beginning of uh, F.D. Roosevelt's working projects for people with no jobs. Dad was employed by a contractor, but the other workers were on a project which was called WPA. Many farm-to-market roads were built during this depressing time. They were built by the WPA workers. After saving for three or four years, Dad purchased a team of horses and added more cows. He cared for the livestock in the winter and worked in construction in the summer. Finally, about 1914, he tried raising the crops through the summer and was home with us more. The corn planter that he had used checked the rows. It had a roll of wire that was fastened at the end of the field, and it had knots spaced on the wire evenly. And when the planter came to the knot, it dropped Two grains of corn. <clears throat> when the corn came up it was spaced so that it, so that it could be cultivated from both ways. You could go north and south and cultivate it then turn around and go east and west and cultivate it and this would take all the weeds out. The cultivator that we had was pulled by horses and the driver sat on the seat on the cultivator and it would take the weeds from two rows at a time. Dad, Dad Chop parted the corn with a corn knife, which looked like a machete, that fall, and tied it into shocks while the stalks were still green and the corn nearly mature. Later in the winter, these stock shocks were put on a sled and pulled by the horse and fed to the cows for roughage. We didn't have any hay bales, as we did not have a baler. Whatever hay that was put up for winter was mowed with the horses, It was raked into windrows and picked up with a pitchfork and tossed into a hay wagon. It was then hauled to the house and put into the loft of the barn. There was a rail across the roof of the barn that had a pulley attached to it to enable to put a hay fork around a large bundle of hay and then pull this bundle of hay up into the loft of the barn. During the winter, it was forked down to a small door to feed the cows in the barn was also fed to the horses along with some grain. Dad bought sacks of bran for the cows to feed, to eat. We used to like to taste it and see what it tasted like. I guess it didn't hurt us. We didn't get sick anyway. Our first teacher, first tractor, was a Fordson. Dad only used it for plowing and pulling the wagon as we didn't have any other tools uh, to hook to it. We walked about a mile and a half to school from this place. We felt very lucky that it was not mud in the spring and the fall, for it was a gravel road. I soon had a brother to walk with me as he was three years younger than me. The St. Catherine School had two rooms, and it was quite different from the Stain School that I had went to first grade. This school also had a one-year high school in the upper room. It had two rooms. We were in the lower grades, of course, but we had the same teacher. Our teacher has grades one, two, three, and four. The rest were in the other room. They soon eliminated the ninth grade and they were transported to Brookfield by bus. This school had a coal furnace in the basement with a large grate in each room. We had Christmas programs and last day school programs in the basement also. It was large and had a stage across one end and benches for the parents to set at the other. There was a piano downstairs and the neighbor lady came to play the music for the program. We had a huge curtain that could be rolled up while we were performing and come down between the different parts of the program or between the scenes of a play. Every spring we had a pie supper at the school. The young ladies of the neighborhood would fix a pretty box of candy or cookies or even a lunch. It would be wrapped pretty with a bow and numbers would be put on each one so that no one knew who it belonged. Then they would be auctioned off. The fellas bought them hoping that he would eat with his favorite girlfriend. The money was used for school supplies, as the school board didn't supply all the things that we needed. It was a happy time for young people and the young at heart. The worst winter ever was in 1936. One night in January, we had two or three inches of ice. Dad scattered hay and ashes from the stove to enable able the cows to go from the barn to the well for water. The pump was rather close to the barn, so they did not have far to go. Dad wrapped Barbara around his shoes so that he could walk to the barn to do the chores. He fixed cleats for brother and me to strap onto the bottom of our boots so that we could walk to school without falling down. I remember sliding down the hill on our metal lunch buckets. It probably wasn't very good for the lunch bucket, but we had fun. The ice stayed on about three weeks. Many cows broke their legs during this storm and had to be slaughtered. The lunch bucket that we carried was a small metal bucket. It had a small pie pan in it, and on Friday, Mom made pies just for our lunch. A lot of the time, we took fried rabbit or squirrel in the lunch, as we didn't have anything else for meat sandwiches. Peanut butter or jelly was what we took mostly. We didn't know what potato chips and things like that were. The girls were not allowed to wear jeans or overalls. When the cold weather started, I wore long, dark cotton stockings, which were held up by wearing a wide elastic band around the waist with elastic straps and garters sewed onto it for each leg. In the winter months, I had to wear long, white underwear with the long stockings pulled up over them. The stockings looked quite wrinkly, but they were warm. The knees of my underwear would get so dirty. Mother would scrub the material between the knuckles of her hands, or scrub them on the board before putting them into the boiler, which was on the kitchen stove, which was holding the water and heating it for the water to be, for the washing machine. She would scold me so often and say, "If you wasn't such a tomboy, the knees wouldn't get so dirty." If we did happen to wear long pants when the snow was on the ground and very deep, they were hung in the cloakroom uh, along with our coats. Some of the lucky ones had wool snow pants to wear. I had a hand-me-down pair from my cousin, but I never had a pair of my own. We didn't have electricity until I was a freshman in school, and we moved to a place on Highway 5 north of Marceline. We thought it wonderful to have one light hanging from the ceiling. The first appliance we got was a refrigerator. We really enjoyed the ice cubes. Before this time, we had a wooden ice box, and on a Saturday we would purchase a block of ice while we were shopping in Marceline. This would not last all week. When we didn't have ice, Mother tied a rope to a bucket and we would put the milk and butter in the bucket and lower it into the well that was always cool. The top of the end of the rope was fastened to the pump. The curb of the well was constructed in a way that had an opening with with a trap door that would enable a person to utilize the well for a cooler as well as to furnish the water. We had two uncles that lived with us that was just 17 and 18 that helped us through the summer of 1940. One uncle joined the Navy so he couldn't find work and the other one moved to Oregon to look for work. He had a sister living there also. The favorite uncle was at Pearl Harbor when it was attacked December the 7th of 1941. I remember so well hearing it on the news that night. It kept talking about the ships that were sunk and the number of men that was lost. Mother knew that one of the ships listed was her brothers. It was several days before we learned that he was safe. He finally got word to us through the Red Cross, but news didn't travel as fast as it does now. It was three weeks before we finally got a letter from him uh, explaining just what went on. I remember Mother crying a lot as they were very close. The radio that we had was had a dry cell battery and it was about four inches by eight inches by fourteen inches long and we only listened to that radio for the news in, uh, on Saturday night. It was announced on the radio that the three ships had been sunk at Pearl Harbor. The Arizona the target ship Utah and the Oklahoma. A thousand and ninety-two men remained in the hull of the Arizona, and only two hundred and eighty-nine survived. Fifty-eight bodies remained in the Utah hull, and about a third of the three thousand and thirty-three soldiers stationed at Pearl Harbor lost their lives. Lynn County lost five. There were lists of all the local servicemen that was painted on the side of the, Mos- the Myers Clothing Store which was located on the corner that now has the savings and loan if someone was lost in battle then a star was put be- beside that particular name the bu- the building burned during the 50s our okay. uh, radio had a, a battery that was as i explained before was a pack dry cell battery when it was uh, went dead, it was discarded. Uh, we petitioned the house off at night because it was quite cold and the living room was the only thing that would stay warm. Sometimes during the night uh, when it was very cold, Dad would get up and put coal in the stove. We purchased the winter supply of coal from the Guka Coal Company in Marceline and tried to get enough to last on winter. It was brought into the house in buckets, and that was the purpose for the shape of the bucket, so that it could be emptied into the stove quite easy. Many nights through the winter, the tea kettle sitting on the kitchen stove would freeze, would be frozen when we got up the next morning. It was a very drafty house, and no one thought of insulation at this time. There were many programs on the radio that people listened to. Families got together in evenings to listen to it, just like we do television now. Some of their favorite programs was Amos and Andy and the Grand Ole Opry. There was also mystery stories complete with sound effects. The ladies liked to listen to the Earl May Station out of Shenandoah, Iowa during the mid-morning. It was a homemaker's show, and they give recipes and cleaning tips. Cleaning tips. Shortly after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, we were in a war state. Rationing began. This lasted until the war was over sugar was the thing that bothered us the most, I think. We liked pies and cakes, and before we knew it, our month's quota was gone. We had only honey or molasses left for the rest of the month. Finally, Mother decided to put each person's supply in front of our plates, our quota, in a jar. If we had some at the end of the month, then Mother would put it together for baking and we would have sweet things uh, at the end of our month. We were issued uh, stamps, books of stamps, for each of the things that was rationed. Each person, old or young, had a book. Even though you, did not, you may have the money to buy these things, you could not without the stamps. My first year in high school, we was required to have rubber sole shoes for PE and to play on the gym floor. We were also required to wear certain play suits during the gym class. We were only allowed two pairs of shoes at this time, so Mother decided my gym shoes must be extra long to last while my feet were still growing. The extra length caused the toes to turn up slightly. I wore those shoes out before I ever really grew into them. Gasoline was rationed also. The male men could get tires and gasoline. Farmers were allowed more than the others because they were furnishing the food supply that was considered essential. Meat rationing did not affect as much as we butchered our own livestock. We didn't have freezers, not even lockers in town at this time. Much of the meat was canned for summer use. Some hams and shoulders of pork were smoked in small buildings called smokehouses. There were meat was hung from the rafters, and then there was fire made to let the smoke season and cure the pork. Special wood was used for the fire, hickory, I think. Oftentimes, two or three neighbors did their curing of meat at the same time. We also salted down some in large crockery jars. It kept well, but it needed rinsing to get the brine from the meat enough to be eatable. We purchased saving stamps for to further the war effort. 25 cents for each stamp. We purchased these at school. When the book was full, we would take them to the post office and purchase the war bond. There was a lot of changes made for the war effort. The new product would then be used for making tanks and things for the war effort. Many towns donated their statues and silver war cannon. Momentum's for and things of that nature to be patriotic toward our country. Much of the small town's history was lost during this era. These are some other things that was going on during the war. It was stated that in June of forty-two, the Brotherhood of the Railroad Trainmen of Marceline received a certificate award from the U.S. Treasury Department because more than 90 percent of the members were purchasing more bonds through their payroll savings plan. In 42, all motor cars had to be registered by November the 9th, 10th, and 11th for the rationing of gasoline, which became effective on November the 22nd. I don't remember the number of gallons of gasoline for each car. Farmers was allowed extra if they had a tractor, which they did, and could buy a little extra for that. We had a B John Deere and thought it was the best tractor ever. Compared to today's tractors, it was considered very small. Tires were also rationed. Dad had bought a secondhand car that we didn't even need just in order to have the extra tires as it had nearly new tires on it and ours were going flat all the time. The rationing of a gasoline Books were distributed in the commercial room in the Marceline High School. First aid classes were organized all around the country to help to know the proper care for injuries. In 1942, a new federal regulation on buildings or remodeling was issued. Farmers were allowed to remodel or rebuild up to the cost of $1,000. Town people could spend up to $500. If a farm building was to to exceed the $1,000 limit, a special permit was necessary for the lumber was in short supply and all efforts were going into the war supply. All new house buildings was halted at this time. In 1942 was also during the sugar rationing time. They started with the books being distributed in the Marceline School. It was stated that about 4,000 books were issued. It was announced in the Marceline News that the farmers that had threshers, corn huskers, or silo fillers could apply for extra sugar for the meals that were to be served to the workers. The neighbors worked together and exchanged labor for these tasks. Only a few were hired laborers. Most farmers exchanged job for job and no money was involved. The county rationing board announced that one member of the household could get the permit from the city hall for the purchase of sugar for canning purposes. The allotted amount was one pound for every four quarts of fruit that was to be canned. The deadline was July the 11th. Many people canned peaches and berries and cherries or anything else that was available in the line of fruit. Canned goods at the store was not purchased very much at this time. During the 42, also, we was to comply with the federal orders of the pickup and delivery service in all the stores and business firms in Marceline. Only one delivery service was permitted each day. The order was a part of the nationwide program for greater conservation of tires, gasoline, and motor vehicles. The order applied to all vehicles, whether the motor was motor or horse-drawn, if they were equipped with rubber tires. It was announced that 12 tons of scrap rubber were collected by the Marceline Oil Dealers in the nationwide campaign that was underway that was gathering this greatly needed material. Everyone did their part by bringing any old tires and things that no longer had a practical use. There were many many meetings for volunteer air raid wardens. They met and planned the strategy to use if we were to be under attack in this area. It was thought that because we were near St. Louis and Kansas City, where the ammunition plants were in production at that time, that it was quite possible that we would be attacked also. They had plans for ex- evacuation of Kansas City if it was ever needed. There was much time spent on this plan, but I was so thankful that it never did happen. It was also noted that uh, during the rationing period, we had rationing of coffee, and patrons on trains were limited to one cup at each meal. This did not apply to any member of the armed forces or any that was in uniform. During this time, the War Dad Club, they had formed a club in town, and this group, together with the Uptown Theater, provided free tickets for the theater to all servicemen who were in Marceline on furlough, the free tickets was good for as long as the servicemen were in town. The Army Mothers' Post and the Navy Mothers' Post members requested names and addresses of all the servicemen in order to s- send them uh, Christmas greetings and packages at Christmas time. The collection of the scrap metal taken from all the Linn County Rural Schools netted 28,145 pounds that year. When we first began coming to Marceline, sliced bread was also another thing that we looked for. We would watch for the truck to go by and then stand in line for as long as 30 minutes just to get a loaf of sliced bread. All the bread that we had before was homemade and it naturally did not make as good a lunches to carry as the sliced bread. On the 4th of July, we used a fixed ice cream and a hand crank freezer. We would travel to the uh, consumer's ice plant, which was located across the street from the City Light Plant and purchase 50 pounds of block ice. The family was used together, usually together, in the afternoon on the 4th. And we always would make the ice cream. Then of the evening, we would go to the carnival and the fireworks that was in town. And sometimes we would go to the park in the afternoon to listen to the politicians, for there was always politicians speaking and making long speeches during the afternoon. And this is the one way that the older folks had a of uh, checking out the candidates that were learn- running for different au- offices in August. Otherwise they may never have face-to-face meeting with him. There was always large crowds in town at Marceline on the 4th of July. One year when I was in the lower grades, the town went all out for entertainment. There was a person that flew a two-wing airplane low over the town and someone else climbed out on the wings and did stunts for the- as a crowd pleaser. They also had a dog show in town that same year. A trainer brought several dogs and they did all kinds of tricks for us, such as climb up small ladders and jump jump through hoops. And some of the hoops even had had fire, but the dogs would jump through anyway. We were so fascinated with the trainer that when he said set, the dog would stay there. So we went home and thought, sure enough, that we could make our dogs do that. We worked and worked all summer long to see if we could train our dogs, but it was to no avail. Some other things that I remember was Dad talking about putting a pool table in Harper's Barbershop. Dad seldom went to the barbershop as it cost money. His brother usually cut his hair and the other men and the family but he, and he became quite good at it. Dad also learned to cut hair. The first clippers that we had was work by hand as we had no electricity. Dad would squeeze the handle of the, hand, of the, the handles of the clippers to gather real fast to clip the short hair along the collar line and up a little ways. He then used the barber scissors for the rest of it. It was in the 50s that home haircuts became a thing of the past and fellows started patronizing the barbershops more. Work was more readily available and the income had improved during this time and after the war, so many of the fellows now go and have the ladies trim their hair at the beauty salon. But during this time, that was an unheard thing. Yeah, they even got their hair curled. Some other things that I remember about Marceline, Stanleys had a store there, but they also did butchering at their farm. This was in the 40s, the early 40s. Many neighbors pa- paid them to butcher their animals also. There was, this was during the war and there was no stamps required for home produce. Hayden's had a slaughterhouse also and it was located on Route J near Landris. The, they, they sold the meat over the meat counter of their meat market, which was on North Main Street. I remember m- us going to the Marceline News, which was in the basement under the Kroger store, which was at the west corner of Main and Howe. They were giving away Mary Lou Teaspoons as a promotional. When mother went down to get my spoon, we were so fascinated by the printing machinery that was working. It was so noisy and everyone seemed to know just what job to do. We loved going with dad to the Duke's hardware store. They had a talking parrot in a cage. We loved to stand and talk to it and make it answer back. They also had a player piano. They would turn it on just for us kids, and we would stand there amazed at watching the keys go up and down and the music come out with no one playing it. My grandfather would often meet us in Marceline on Saturday in afternoon. We would do our shopping and visit with people that we knew. When Grandpa, Then Grandpa would give us each one a nickel for ice cream cone, and we would go into Drennan's drugstore. It was located where Lefty's Shoe Store is now. My folks purchased feed at McGee's Feed and Hatchery. We enjoyed watching the baby chickens in the little cages in the spring. They would have several cages of chickens for sale. They ranged in size from just being hatched to two or three weeks old. Some people that bought chickens wanted them to be started, as they called it, and that meant that the, the hatchery would feed and water them for several days before being taken uh, to the farm. The hatchery kept chicken feed, and that feed came in printed sacks. This was one of the things that the fellows that worked in the hatchery was unhappy about for the ladies always wanted the same pattern on the feed sacks so that they could go home and make a dress or something out of it. Uh, This made a problem for stacking the sacks of feed also. They would try to stack the same patterns together so that they wouldn't have to move the whole pile when a customer come in and wanted certain sacks of feed to take home to feed their chickens. Mother usually brought laggard chickens, which was considered a laying hen. She sometimes got 50 chickens of the heavier breed to raise for eating. And we would put those in a separate pen and feed them separately. And when they got big enough for eating purposes, well then we would kill them and, and dress them to eat. There was several varieties of chickens that was sold at that time, but uh, now it is difficult to purchase baby chickens. There's only about one place around that someone could order chickens if they wanted them. There was an A.M.P. store on North Main that we usually did our grocery shopping. Mother was acquainted with the manager, which was Francis Ridgeway. He later bought a store of his own in Brookfield. The store, the A.M.P. store, was so different from the stores that we have now. They did not have all the brands of ketchup and beans and cereal that is available now. We would go into the counter, go over the store, and pick up whatever was needed to, and bring it back to the counter for the customer. The customer did not do the, their own picking up of groceries. Uh, it was always amazing to watch the clerk get the cereal. It was usually stored on the high shelves. And the clerk would take a tool, which had a real long handle with clamps on the end, and reach up over our heads and grasp whatever kind of cereal that we wanted and get it down. It was usually always fellows. I don't remember lady, <coughs> lady clerks in the grocery stores when I was young. The first lady clerks was probably Billy Burke Cavanaugh as she was working in Kroger's in the late forties, and it was during the war that the women started working away from home more. They always ground the coffee in the store. We purchased sacks of 8 o'clock coffee beans, and then the clerk would grind it for whatever grind that was chosen. I think there were three or four different choices from very fine for a later to a very coarse for the pot that was left on the back of the stove simmering all day. Sometimes the prices were written down and added up by hand, and sometimes they used an Abbey machine. There was a cash register to deposit the money and to get the change. They had a vault at the front window so that the city police could watch and make sure that no one broke in through the weekend. I don't think very much money was kept there, just whatever was collected after the time the banks closed uh, until they opened on Monday. And that was a uh, then it would be deposited in the bank on Monday. The store stayed open till about 9 p.m. on Saturday. There was customers in the store where they did not announce that it was closing time like they do now. They served the customer until no one was left in the store to purchase anything. It was common knowledge that the closing time was set at about 9 o'clock and out of courtesy. Most everyone had their purchases by that time, but uh, people was not told to leave the store. People stood and visited along the street at this time. It was also a time for renewing acquaintances and meeting other members of the family. Sometimes we packed a lunch and met my grandfather who drove into town with the wagon and team from the east. We would eat in the wagon, which would be hitched in an area behind the store along the south side of Maine. There was a special place there just for horses and wagons, but at that time, uh, there was very few that was brought to town. Most everyone was One year, when we were about 11 or 12 years old, we both got roller skates for Christmas. We skated on the sidewalk in the park for a while while we were learning and mother would be doing her grocery shopping on Saturday. We skated some on highway number 5. There was very few cars on the road at that time. We would have it sometimes 30 or 40 minutes before between cars and so it was not very dangerous for us to skate on the highway. There was a skating rink on South Main and Marceline and we went skating there a few times on Saturday afternoon. through our our early teen time. I never became a very good skater, just average, but brother did. I think I just wasn't ready to try the things thinking that I would fall down. Dad still didn't think I should wear slacks, although some of the girls were beginning to wear them. And with the dress, it was very ungraceful to fall down. During the early years on the farm, rats were a big problem. They would bury under the corn crib and multiply as there was a good food supply. Sometimes in the spring when the cribs were near empty, the neighbors would come together and help each other to kill the rats as the crib was being moved. We even removed the flooring of uh, the crib sometimes just to destroy the rats. They didn't have rat poison like we do now and sometimes as many as 80 or 85 would be destroyed in one day's work. They liked to gather around where grain was handled also. Arsenic lead was the only available poison that we had, and we could get it at Drennan's Drugstore, but it would kill anything that ate it. We would put some on bread, mother would, and put it on the back porch at night but she would always get up very early the next morning and put it away to be sure that no one else got a chance to eat it. Our dog would die also if it ate it. We also had large rat traps and we set them in the basement and we occasionally get one rat at night. They would get under our baby chick house, which we called a brooder house, and they loved eating tiny baby chickens. They didn't usually try to kill the older hens. We also had skunks and weasels that got into our chicken house. Dad could tell which one had visited us through the night by the damage they had done to the chicken, for each animal ate different parts of the chicken. I don't remember which one ate what, but he always seemed to know. We did not have a telephone until we moved north of Marceline on Highway 5 and 44. We paid 50 cents a month, and it was paid every three months. The farmers owned the own line to town. There it was connected to the Southwestern Bell switchboard. Our first number was 4F12. Four was the number of the line, and the ring was one long and two shorts. We could hear the ring of everyone on the line and lots of eavesdropping was done. People would lift the receiver and just listen to see who was calling who and what they wanted. Sometimes in the evening, some of the neighbors would have a party line chat. The fellows would discuss the day's happenings and each one along the line would add their two cents worth of whatever happened to them that day. Sometimes this party line chatter would last an hour or two. If some long-distance call was coming in, the operator would interrupt the conversation and say, someone has a call. Everyone would just hang up and then she would ring the number. Then after the person was answered, most of the people along the line would lift up the receiver just to be nosy and see who was calling and what they wanted. telephone that we had was uh, the older, box-type telephone that hung on the wall. It had three batteries located inside, about the size of a can of fruit. After I graduated from high school, I worked two years at the telephone office as an operator. By the time I quit, they were beginning to switch over to dial. It took two years or more to complete the process, and a new brick building was constructed to house the wiring. The front section of this new building was made into an office where Mrs. Collins collected the telephone bills. It was during this time that the price of the telephone service changed drastically. As the equipment was improved, the rate of the phone service increased also. This is just a few of the memories I have of my early years.